Welcome to What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor. This podcast is provided by the Wellness and Health Action Team, also known as WHAT, from Portland State University's Center for Student Health and Counseling, or SHAC. We're located in the old tutoring center suite on the third floor of the University Center building on campus. Our purpose with this podcast is to discuss a variety of health-related topics in a way that will be accessible for our non-traditional campus. My name is Grace, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Julie, and my pronouns are she, her. We're all members of the Wellness and Health Action Team, and we'll be the hosts for this podcast, so let's get into it. All right. Hi, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of What's Up Podcast. My name is Julie, and today I'm joined with our new host, Grace. Grace, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. My name is Grace. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm excited to be on the podcast. Yes, wonderful to have Grace. And today we also have another wonderful guest, Amelia. Amelia, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Amelia. I'm the peer recovery support specialist at SHAC, and I'm really happy to be here. Yes, we are very happy to have you, Amelia. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um, And speaking of peer recovery support, Amelia, would you like to talk more about what peer recovery support group? Peer recovery support is based on, in a sense, sort of mutual aid, but in a slightly more professional sense. Uh, Peer support specialist is someone who has that same like lived experience of recovery Uh, It can be from like mental health condition or substance use disorder or addiction. I work in the latter. Um, So at PSU, I'm there to be there for folks who are considering recovery from whatever substance you're using or drug they're using, Um, support them during or during a relapse or just creating community. And we do one-on-one deep dives, resource connecting either within PSU or out in the community um, in greater Portland. And we also host two groups a week on Tuesdays. There's a smart recovery meeting, talks about like self-management and recovery training and just practicing skills that are really self-empowering. And on Friday, there's more of a loosey-goosey open vibe. Uh, It's not particular to one recovery tradition or another. We really welcome everyone that is related to like harm reduction or recovery directly. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for that. Um, So for today's episode, we will be covering the topic of dry January. Um, And in this episode, we'll be talking about setting intentions, the narratives of dry January, what is harm reduction, which Amelia touched on, um, overcoming the norms and stigma of dry January, and the differences between sobriety and recovery and other approaches when it comes to such. Um, so Grace, would you like to start us off? Yeah, so um, we're going to just start off with talking about different terminology and language when it comes to dry January or just um, any sort of recovery or peer support. Um, And I have a question for Amelia. Um, How would you define harm reduction in the sense, like through the lens of peer recovery, how would you define that? Uh, Harm reduction can also be called like risk reduction. I think that's more of a tangible term because we think of harm as something kind of amorphous, but 
when you talk about harm reduction or risk reduction, we're talking about a whole bevy of things. It can be, where do I get clean needles? How do I dispose of clean needles if someone is an injection drug user? Or how do I moderate my drinking because I recognize this could turn into a problem if I keep doing what I'm doing? Or how do I know which drugs are unsafe to combine? Like, especially with the rise in folks on anti-anxiety medications and antidepressants and stuff, like they're just some unsafe combinations. So it can really run the gamut of whatever drug that someone's using. And I 100% consider alcohol a drug. (laughs) Um, I feel like many people forget about that. I'm glad that you brought that up, Amelia, about how I myself also consider alcohol as a drug as well. And many do not uh, discern the difference, but thank you for bringing that up and that kind of considering that. Mm -hmm. And another part of harm reduction that we've seen in Portugal, most notably, I think that's one of the more popular places. Um, There's been harm reduction programs and having safe injection sites, having a non-carceral approach to drug users, and really just supporting people where they're at um, has helped reduce deaths, has helped reduce spreads of like diseases really related to like unclean needles. Um, because you can get clean things. And uh, the thing with safe consumption sites, uh, I saw this tweet the other week that was just naming bars as safe consumption sites for alcohol. And it kind of blew my mind. Like, oh, right, there's the OLCC and bartenders are trained to notice like, when is someone too drunk? When is what's the sign of alcohol poisoning? What's the sign of da-da-da-da-da? And like, oh, right. <laughs> That's our reduction too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Oh, sorry, Julie. No, I was like, no, that's really good that um people are able to have that ability to kind of distinguish it on whether or not like they're kind of crossing the line themselves. And dry January is kind of just a time that people use to kind of um, either go completely dry from alcohol or just kind of lower their usage of alcohol. Um, And that kind of brings me back to the question of like the difference between complete sobriety versus recovery. And like, how would you describe or how would you define that, Amelia? Yes. Dry January is a really interesting gateway. Like it can be a great way for people to moderate their usage and just like reflect, or it can be the like socially acceptable, like less stigmatized excuse to be like, I'm just doing this for my health. New year, new me. Um, if people are self-conscious about the amount that they've been drinking <laughs> and like don't want to feel shame, they can do it with a buddy and whatnot. Um, and the difference I'd say between sobriety and recovery is that sobriety is just stopping using your drug of choice. So like just stopping drinking. And recovery is about the ongoing process of reflecting what is underneath that drive to overuse or that is like full-blown addiction, um, and which is like, I would define as you know, a use that you can no longer control, that is in control of you. Um, and I think substance use disorders and substance misuse are like, just like slight notches down 
on that ladder, so to speak, or not just up because you go down. <laughs> but um, yeah, recovery really is about a deeper experience and process of examining your life and making it better. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's a good way to put it. Um, and I feel like a lot of people, like what you said earlier, kind of use dry January as like, oh, like new year, new me. Like, oh, I, it's like kind of just almost a socially acceptable or like the only socially acceptable time for people to kind of like cut back on drinking. And I feel like that kind of just goes for like any sort of sobriety thing. Like, oh, it's a new year. It's a new year's resolution. Like uh, it feels more normalized in that sense where it's just like, oh, I'm doing it because it's the new year. And using that as a, not necessarily like an excuse, but just kind of like a reason for doing dry January. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and that's not bad at all. Um, But I just think it like goes more into like how, people it's not normalized to kind of just be like okay I'm not going to drink this weekend um and it's harder for people to do that when it's not they don't have some sort of like external excuse or reason exactly that like preconception of like oh I know what that is versus is there something wrong with my friend or are you judging me and like dry January doesn't even have to be for folks who are like in a pit of drinking or smoking too much weed or whatever their thing is that they're going to take a break from it's it's for literally anyone who who's like I want to take a break from this and like see what the benefits are or just save some money maybe like part of your goal for the new year is budgeting and the pandemic's got you spending a lot of money on alcohol no judgment yeah totally um And then that kind of just brings us into like the different narratives of dry January, like the different reasons that people do dry January. And um, we could discuss that. And like, cause last year, I mean, this is a statistic from Forbes, Forbes, but um, last year it said that 15% of Americans participate in dry January. So what do you think these numbers tell us? And like, what do you think these motivations are for people who start dry January? That's a really cool statistic. Um, 15% of Americans participating in dry January is pretty cool. Um, Seeing these notes, it's like one seventh of Americans. That's pretty rad, Uh, especially considering that we're in a pandemic. I think exploring the context of the times that we're living in is really crucial. What that says to me is that people are reflecting. Maybe there was more unintentional or kind of habitual automatic use of alcohol. Um, I personally, obviously everything's honest, but I personally know of a lot of people who got sober during the pandemic or relapsed during the pandemic or found like, and like so many people like had their sobriety date of like around the 1st of January, (laughs) you know, the pandemic has given us a lot of time to reflect and Sometimes that's comfortable and sometimes that's uncomfortable. And sometimes we can move through discomfort and other times we have to do other things or do do other things. I don't know about have to. 
we do know too that mental health struggles increased during the pandemic. Like anecdotally, I think we all know either for ourselves or people close to us that there has been struggle and that is directly <laughs> related to substances, you know, and increased use. There haven't been a lot of a ton of studies on like scientific studies on the amount of relapsing or anything, but I'd be really interested to see. Yeah, I think the pandemic itself had a great influence on that number. Like one out of seven Americans participated in dry January. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you brought it up to mental health was also a huge contributor um, into this idea of like, I want change. Um, I want to try it out to see what happens. Um, so yeah, I think the pandemic contributed into this a lot. Um, but Speaking of that, um, I thought it, we thought it was important to cover kind of the idea of harm reduction. We did talk a little bit about it um, at the beginning of the episode. So Amelia, um, would you def- help us define what harm reduction is and what does it mean in this context when we're talking about sobriety or like alcohol usage, substance uses? Basically, harm reduction is about using practices and strategies to reduce the risk when you are using a substance and alcohol, things like that. Um, When we're talking about alcohol specifically, it could be not drinking for a weekend, like was mentioned earlier, or counting how many drinks and sticking to that number. Like I'm only gonna have two drinks tonight, or I'm gonna be the designated driver and definitely harm reduction. And like it takes some reflective practices, which can be really useful in helping identify how harm reduction works for us specifically, because it is about meeting ourselves or others when we're offering support where they're at. Like we start wherever we are and then we can move forward from there. There's that AA adage, like one step at a time. And whether you are into AA or not, like that's literally all we can do. (laughs) And not everyone needs or wants to have full abstinence from whatever they're doing. Harm reduction just helps keep our lives in balance. Yeah, that's a really good point. And like what you were saying, Amelia, how everyone is at a different place in life and that you can't really compare to other people who uh, might be in a different phase, different stage in life. And that um, comparison isn't really the drive when it comes to recovery and all, um, which leads us to mm-hmm. the other topic, which is like overcoming norms and stigmas by setting intentions. Um, and so I would like to ask you, like, why is it important to set intentions when it comes to recovery and sobriety and kind of like how to overcome those stigmas? That's such a good question. Setting intentions when it comes to something like dry January or fully going like into recovery and you're like, actually, I think that might be the best choice for me. Helps you define where you want to move forward in. And sometimes that can be really hard if you're stuck in one mode of being or don't, or feel like you don't have control of your life. Or like one thing I had when I was in early recovery was, and before I was in recovery, was the inability to really trust myself and trust that I could make good decisions. And that was huge. And I know that that is really common. And so setting an intention, even if it's just for the day or the week 
of, you know, I'm going to set the goal to walk every day and I'm not going to walk by the place that triggers me that like old bar or I'm going to do this with a friend. I'm going to reach out to someone else who is doing this dry January or just doesn't really drink that much because they don't like it. Things like that. Um, throwing ourselves into the void kind of willy nilly can set us up for failure. And we can always come back from failure. It's just, you know, it's not fun. <laughs> so setting intentions and recognizing that internalized stigma keeps us stuck. And there are so like everyone, more people that not everyone, but more people than you realize they have mental health challenges and anxiety, experience depression, um, or, you know, binge drink, have problems with compulsive use of a drug or substance, or even like a process addiction, like codependency or uh, disordered eating, things like that. And I think that can really open us up to compassion for ourselves and for other people by recognizing that we're all in this together in some way. Yeah, I think that's all a really good point. And like you said, kind of having, kind of like surround yourself with things that will help you and motivate, create change. And um, speaking of the surrounding and all, I know that roughly nine craft breweries per a thousand people that's like the statistics for Oregon. And because of that, we're like ranked like the fifth highest in the United States. Do you think that um, kind of contributes to the norm that is set upon people? To make alcohol like part of their social lives? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. Absolutely. Like, I know when we were, like, we were talking about the, this, podcast this week and kind of chatting about everything and someone mentioned yeah like there's this phenomenon of people like going to bars to study at least before COVID <laughs> like I recognize that behavior yeah when I used to drink <laughs> and um it's just such an ingrained part of our, our culture like even during a pandemic I've noticed new breweries coming up like small businesses have gone out but we have sure yeah let's have more beer I guess boring which is like a very interesting change right like you said a lot of business were driven out because of the pandemic but we're still Mm -hmm. seeing like an increase in breweries and um why that is still sustaining whereas other businesses are closing down which is very interesting to me I also think it's like so normalized in Oregon, like what Julie was saying, there's nine craft breweries for every 100,000 people in Oregon. So it's like the fifth highest state in the United States that for craft breweries. And like, when you think of Oregon, you just think of like this big burly guy, like with a beard and he has a craft brew (laughs) and he's wearing flannel and it's like, oh God, please don't come over and talk to me about your IPA. Like, please, I'm begging. But it's like so ingrained into so hoppy and yeah oh my god the hops no um, <laughs> I can't um but it's just like such a PNW specific thing to go to a craft brewery especially in or- uh, Portland and like what you were saying Amelia like last week when we were talking like going to a bar to study is something that college students do and um it's just 
it's kind of like in a way making it just even more accessible it's like oh I can I can be drunk at a craft brewery while doing my psych homework like yeah that's gonna work like that type of thing and I think it just it's like the equivalent to going to a coffee shop to study like you're probably just gonna get anxious from the caffeine like it's I don't know it's just interesting to think about how um so many people just think that it's like harmless in a way where it's like no what you were saying earlier like it is kind of a um what did you call it Amelia it was like a the like how bars are um like substance oh like a safe consumption site yeah safe consumption site yeah. yeah I think that's really interesting just how that is kind of like nobody would call it a safe consumption site but it definitely is so mm-hmm. and like I think that's where harm reduction could come into like I'm doing, I have this goal of school. Like I want to do well, presumably, like I'm doing this on purpose. Um, (laughs) Like no one does this for kicks. Going to get a beer or two or three while you're quote unquote studying, like you're not going to retain anything. Like (laughs) you're like double wasting your money on your IPA and like, and on your education like that sounds really judgmental and I think I'm just coming from an overprotective parent place of like hey my darlings I've been down this road and it didn't really work <laughs> like I didn't learn as much truly not judging anyone Okay, awesome. So now that we've talked about kind of the overcoming norms, stigma, and kind of the differences between sobriety and recovery, um, I thought it was important to kind of cover other approaches and ways that we can cope with this. Um, But first, uh, Amelia, would you like to talk to us about what the benefits of dry January are? Yeah, there are a lot of really good like holistic benefits of trying out dry January, whether you're like more of a casual drinker and you just want to try it out and do it with a friend, which I recommend. It just makes things a little bit easier socially and it can have like, I don't know if you hear this term, but accountability buddy, which is a really very cool term. Uh, Just, having a friend to be accountable with and encourage you if you have a slip up and just kind of go through that together. And some of the general overall benefits are, you know, mental, physical, emotional, whether you're a lighter or more serious drinker, you have great physical benefits in whatever degree related to your amount of drinking clearer skin, um, better digestion. (laughs) Some people can like lose some weight, although like, you know, whether that's a benefit for you is for debate. Lower blood pressure, definitely sleeping a lot better. All of those are really good things. Better memory. And not just because you're not drunk. (laughs) Definitely because you're not drunk. That definitely helps your memory and being able to piece things together. But your brain kind of has a chance to heal and make new neural connections just by creating a new habit, having that um, 
neuroplasticity to have novel experiences and create change is really important when you're and like is a result of creating new habits so and that's a that's a huge thing emotionally probably a lot more emotionally stable maybe fewer things that you or your friends if you're doing it together will say that you regret or was like inappropriate (laughs) or just awkward so that's good or if you were sad um yeah I don't know if you guys have experienced anything like that like just from like taking a weekend off drinking with a friend or something like going to a party I'm like oh yeah I mean I haven't experienced that but that sounds great like all the benefits to try it out um and it's kind of like making that change you know just for to improve your well-being and that's kind of like our main goal um with these podcasts Mm -hmm. is to kind of like setting up those goals you know to kind of help improve the overall well-being over time which you definitely have you know good list for that and how it's good change to kind of like um our daily lifestyle it's good for our overall health and all um and then speaking of benefits of course we're going to have to speak about approaches to reach those benefits um so yeah we would like to acknowledge of different ways that we can approach it so what are some ways that we can approach it amelia mm-hmm. well like i mentioned having a buddy to do it with is really important it helps decrease some of that stigma that we talked about earlier by making it like a fun group activity like if you go to the gym together with someone or you go study with a friend like it makes things a little bit easier you have that camaraderie it makes it more fun and you have someone to do this with if like you don't want to go out and drink with some friends because you're doing dry january you can like do a completely different activity. Um, so having a buddy, whether you're serious, more casual drinker is important. Like sobriety and recovery is not something we do alone. Um, these things fester in isolation. And so connection really is the opposite of uh, addiction or like substance misuse. And we've experienced so much isolation in the last two years. There is no shame around asking for help. There are also different, excuse me, uh, different apps. There's this app called Reframe. There's another one called I Am Sober. I'm sure there's other ones, but those are two that are really highly rated. And these apps can help you track milestones like one day at a time and to stay motivated. You can even recognize like, oh, this is about how much money I'm saving. Like this is how much I was spending on, you know, that six pack or that bottle of wine or those bottles of wine um, every week previously and see like, oh, I'm saving this much money a week or wow, this much over the month. And I think gamifying self-reflection and growth is something really popular in the last several years, and especially during the pandemic, because we've had to do things a little bit more on our own, um, that it makes it more accessible for people. We can have externalized data and it's like, oh, I reached the next level of <laughs> week one of dry January down, cool. Um, and 
there are a lot of different tools and methods out there. Um, and it's not about being perfect. Like if you slip up, you can start again. Don't let it get you down too much. Um, and if you are getting down, know that that's okay. <laughs> Feel it and then try to reassess and like think about those intentions about why you wanted to do this in the first place and those values that you really wanted to hold up. Um, because yeah, not about perfection. This is about practicing a practice, about being better than before, that more balanced, having like increased well-being. Like all y'all are really upholding as a beautiful value. And some things that I think are really cute to do. Like everyone's done with puzzles. Everyone's done with playing Animal Crossing. Like <laughs> as far as like substitute activities, like we're all, everyone's over it. Um, so you can identify those like automatic habits that you would like drink at the end of the day or during a movie or a meal or when you're like stressed out or celebrating something and write out whatever alternative feels exciting to you, like based on your values, whether it's spending more time with your family or friends or trying out a new hobby. Um, I like, I'm a Taurus, so everything's about food for me. And <laughs> um, so I suggest to folks sometimes like find a cute new recipe that you really like. Um, I really love different beverages. Like I make my fancy coffee in the morning. Like I blend up an egg yolk with maple syrup and like froth it up and coffee in and special cream. And it's like, so good. Or um, different mocktails that people really get into. I can't drink alcohol-free wine or beer or anything like that. It's way too triggering for me. And I just can't do that, but I know some people have success with it. If you feel like that might be too much for you, no shame, just do something else. Um, it's that easy, <laughs> I mean, it's not always easy, but you know, there's so many different options. And if you do insist on going out, which as like being in the school of public health right now, I have so many conflicted feelings about <laughs> during a pandemic. But I know people are going to do it. So like, be as safe as you possibly can. Also, there are, I don't know about a ton, but there's a notable amount of bartenders in Portland who are sober. And like some of them are at really popular restaurants or bars, or at least they used to be. I don't know if they still are during the pandemic, but there are more and more places that are catering to people that don't want to drink. And you'll say, I'd like a mocktail. And like, this is the kind of flavor profile I would like. And just so they have an idea of what you want and, or if they have something preset. And it's really neat. Yeah, That was those, a really long-winded answer. I just, no, like, those are all very... so many things to do and I kind of... No, those are all very good <laughs> approaches and um, ways that people can go about it. Because... I feel like many have thought about it or we've talked about this in our first episode of this term, but stages of change. And many of us are in that stage of contemplation and we might be in it for months or even for years, just contemplating about it. Um, 
And many of us are stuck in that phase because we don't know where to start or how to start. And so I think those are very good tips for those who are thinking about it or they don't know where to start. So I think those are very great tips for them to take. Um, you talked about shame, and I think it's really important for us to kind of touch on, and Grace, you can add on to it too, on being vulnerable and um, knowing that, of course, you can feel ashamed, but it's okay to feel ashamed. And I thought it would be important for us to talk about this because, like we said, go back, it goes back to like this norm and just being afraid and not wanting to feel ashamed about it. I especially think like in a college setting, there's so much shame attached to like not participating in drinking or um, doing drugs or anything like that, because again, it's so normalized. Um, And I feel like a lot of college students kind of just fall into that trap of being like, oh, I'm just going to drink this one weekend with my friends. And then it just keeps happening and it keeps happening. And then it just becomes this bigger problem. Um, But I mean, how many like people in the early 20s are going to be like reaching out and being like, oh, I have a problem. Like if you are in your early 20s and you're having that consciousness, like that's amazing. But like I know for me, like it would be so hard to do that because I'm sure like it would just be the sort of response where it's just like, oh, but that's like normal to drink every weekend or like get blackout every weekend. Like, oh, that's just college and like that type of thing. So I guess kind of holding on to that internalized shame and like the stigma around not drinking just makes it especially hard to reach out to friends or like have a buddy like that so when dry January does come around it's like a good opportunity for people to do that like buddy system or just kind of use an external reason or just kind of like a vague reason for um, stopping drinking for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you bringing up the point about being in your early 20s and like being in college and just that habituated, it's the weekend, we're done with classes, like, let's get fucked up. Um, You know, I did the same thing when I was in my early 20s. (laughs) Um, And like, just to be clear, like, you don't have to be like pissing the bed every night or getting DUIs or whatever to evaluate how you drink and just be like, hey, maybe I want to do this less. And there's also, I want to acknowledge a lot of folks who may not come from families that drink heavily. So it might not be on their radar or drink at all because of religion or other like cultural values within the household. And then there are other folks who do come from homes with some kind of substance and alcohol misuse or addiction. And we all have different things on our radar. And I think shame is one of the most insidious, quiet little jerk demons that can linger in our brains, whether we're aware of it or not. And the shame of feeling like you don't fit in with your peers because you're not doing this thing can be overwhelming. Um, For me, I felt a lot more ashamed when I was like oversharing at a party because I was way too drunk. (laughs) Like, I wish I hadn't shared that with that complete stranger or made out with that other complete stranger in front of 
my boyfriend, you know, <laughs> like awkward. That's not great. And <laughs> a little personal here. Um, I don't know. Have you guys seen Dune or have you read Dune? I have seen Dune, the movie. Yeah. Yes, I have. I have. Okay. Okay. So, you know, like the whole thing of like fear is the mind killer. Like, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think, yes, but also shame is the mind killer, like chronic shame. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Like acute shame. It just like stops us participating in our lives. Mm-hmm. And something like dry January or recovery or any change that we want to make in our life, like, takes us from that pre-or shame like keeps us in like a pre-contemplation stage of change where we're like just ignoring a problem or not recognizing it or in the contemplation stage where we might say like "Uh, is this really for me or like I don't have a problem like I only there's only problems sometimes or like that person said they're worried about my drinking but I think they're wrong (laughs) and they might be, but you know, um, and we can feel shame all we want, but it doesn't make our lives for the better. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's no shame if you're feeling shame. (laughs) There are so many people who, there are more people than you probably think who are like in solidarity with you and like have compassion. And if they don't, they're operating from their own most likely. And you can't control anyone else but you. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's very good advice, Amelia. And thank you for giving that advice is that it's okay to feel ashamed. Um, And yeah, shame is our, it's a mind killer. But um, at the same time, we just have to be graceful to ourselves and know that there are others around us that is there and they're willing to support us and, or support you. So do not feel afraid to be ashamed and that we're humans. And of course we'll feel ashamed when we decide to um, participate in change and just knowing that it's okay to feel that way. Um, And it's temporary and like getting rid of the, the stigma and shame is also Wait, start over. Um, Connecting with people that care about us and that like we're close to, like our friends or family, helps us reduce that stigma and shame. Um, Like if we feel that these people are going to accept us, like even an ounce, like they connection with other people helps reduce our stigma and shame. We have to do that with people that we trust. But by and large, people are probably going to accept you, even if it, you don't feel comfortable with your family or friends, like finding a mutual support group or just like coming and talking to me in peer recovery for some solidarity and some resources and support. There's, there's going to be someone closer than you think that can hear you out and cheer you on. Awesome. Yeah, that, those are all great points. Um, and yeah, thank you for that, Amelia. We appreciate it. Um, as for the next story, we're just going to kind of close it with uh, some of the key points, going back to what we were talking about throughout this whole uh, episode, the whole conversation. Um, what are a few key points or takeaway points that our listeners should remember or take with them after this uh, episode? Yeah, a uh, few important points. 
you don't have to be in trouble with your alcohol, with your drinking or your substance use in order to change how you use. There are people out there who want to do this with you and want to cheer you on. And whether it's temporary or becomes a lifelong change, like there's so many benefits creating like more balance and more just showing up for your life in a new way. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and we are going to list some resources in our description um, when this episode is up and all. So feel free to check that out. I will be linking um, the harm reduction episode if folks are um, interested in learning more about what harm reduction is and in different contexts that harm reduction shows up as. Um, we'll also be listing, or I'll also be attaching link to DP recovery support uh, if folks want to learn more about that as well and get connected with it uh, with the peer recovery support. Um, yeah, is there any last things anyone want to say or any of that? No. Okay. Perfect. Um, thank you so much, Amelia, for joining us on this topic. And um, yeah, we really appreciate it. And I'm wishing the best of luck to those who are doing dry January or those who are interested in practicing sobriety or recovery. Thanks for having me on. Yes, of course. Thanks, Amelia. All right. Well, I'll see you later. Bye. 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 We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the What's Up podcast. We'll catch up with you next week. We at Shack are fully committed to the physical and emotional health and wellness of PSU students. Please call ahead to use our health services for flu shots, free COVID testing, or general appointments at 503-725-2800. Counseling services are still available via telehealth, and you can schedule your appointments by calling that same number at 503-725-2800. If you're looking for more health and wellness resources, you can check out our online health magazine that gets sent to your pdx.edu email every Wednesday, or you can download the CampusWell app. Also, feel free to check out the virtual MindSpot experience to rest, relax, and rejuvenate wherever you have internet access. We will be including resources links in the episode description, as well as a link to the episode transcript. If you have any questions about health, wellness, shack, or anything we discussed in this podcast, please fill out the Google form in the episode description. Thanks for listening and take care. We'll see you next week on What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor.